Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we are, here we are creeping into the summer months. June is just around the corner. Uh, it's, can't believe it's moving fast. Yeah. It feels like just yesterday we were talking about Christmas. Right. It's crazy. Well, um, I was just thinking about that, too, because uh, we just talked about our New York trip, and that was literally two weeks ago already <laughs> yep. it's it's flying it's flying i'll tell you what what's really nice though is currently as of this recording which is like 8 13 uh eastern time it's still daylight outside i have the window open or the shade open and uh that's a far stretch from just a couple of weeks ago when at this point it was already too dark to bother getting light in from there right. so i love it i left the house yesterday at nine and there's still some daylight <clears throat> <laughs> Thank God for summer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, so today we decided that we are going to discuss some myths and or legends of the Great Lakes. Uh, now, what are the Great Lakes? I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know what it is, what they are. Uh, but, you know, they're basically the, and I say this, you know, basically as in, it's a fact. <laughs> they are literally the largest freshwater lakes in the entire world, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about, you know, you grew up in Cleveland. I'm here now mm. and like living right on one of the largest lakes in the entire world. You would think it was like a seventh wonder of some sort, but it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But uh, I, I feel that Lake Erie is one of the probably the most polluted lakes in all the world 100 so. percent. so i was out there uh i was out there two days ago uh <laughs> and we we're uh we were walking along the lake and i found three dead fish uh two bass and one catfish just laying on the sand and i was like oh. you know that in my mind i'm like it's because it's water there's something wrong with the water <laughs> You don't find three dead fish on a huge lake like that. Not usually. (laughs) You know. Anyway, so we're going to go ahead and jump right into this because we have, I think we have a lot to cover. I found some interesting stuff, and this is covering all of the Holmes Lakes. Uh, That's H-O-M-E-S, standing for uh, Lake Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. Yeah, um, I I wanted to just I, you probably looked up the same stuff I did, but I after looking it up, did you know we have a black dog on Lake Erie? Uh, I did not see that actually. Oh, so I'm excited <laughs> to hear about it. That was not found in my research because I, I I saw it. I'm like, we got to start off with this. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so dog lovers are not going to love this st- scary tale. Uh, in the Welland Canal, nearly 140 years ago, the Mary Jane sailed across Lake Erie with the ship's mascot on board, a giant black Newfoundland dog. In the midst of the voyage, the dog fell overboard and the gate of the canal uh, canal lock crushed him. However, that, that is not the last time the dog was spotted. The dog tortured the crew with bang howls during the night. Perhaps angry, the crew did not rescue him. But that isn't all. The dog has also been seen climbing aboard the ship from the lake steps, crossing the deck of the ship and leaping off the other side. Hmm. Did a state where in Lake Erie this happened? Or like near Lake Erie? Uh, Welland Canal, wherever Welland that is. Welland Canal. Welland Canal. That'll be a Google for later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple of, of um, I say couple because there's only like three on this particular website I'm looking at. Um, so I'll share these last two. Grandpa. With nearly 50 wrecks on Lake Superior, which I feel all of these lakes have probably had quite a few wrecks, uh, many are said to be haunted by their ill-fated crews. But no wreck diving experience will give you the jitters like visiting the SS Kamloops, which wrecked in 1927 off the coast of Isle Royale. Uh, One of the crew members affectionately named Grandpa floats up behind divers following them through the engine room he will his well-preserved corpse sits in the engine room just waiting for them to visit which outside of a ghostly experience is creepy in and of itself it is and the last one on this one and then we can go into some of yours too uh sewell choi point lighthouse Joseph Willie Townsend and his wife lived in the Sewell Choi Point Lighthouse for eight years from 1902 to 1910. Their service was cut short by Joseph's death that year, which took place in the bedrooms upstairs. Some say they catch faint whiffs of burning cigars, which Joseph smoked in the after. Oh, smokes in the afterlife as he enjoyed before his death. People have said, Joseph's wife forbade him to smoke in the house, and now he goes, or now he does so out of spite. Otherwise, others have claimed his spirit rearranges furniture and turns up forks upside down at the table, which was his preferred position for them while he ate, which is odd. You wouldn't think that that's how you position your forks. Unless when I think of upside down, I think literally on its edge, but it must be turned the opposite direction instead of facing away from you. It's facing towards you. Um, Hmm. But yeah, so three interesting ones. Sewell Choi Point Lighthouse sounds like a good place to do an investigation, though. That it would. It sounds like a good. I'd love to do an investigation at a lighthouse. At least then, even if we don't catch anything, we probably get a cool view from the top. Right. So. We at least get some good video pictures, etc. <laughs> All right. But go ahead on a couple of the ones you found. Sure. So the first one is the Lake Michigan Triangle. 
Now, of course, this is very similar to the Bermuda Triangle, but Michigan also has its own. The triangle spans from Ludington to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and to Manitowoc, uh, I believe it is, Wisconsin, uh, and is responsible for missing ships, sailors, and UFO sightings. My only question is, how did they know that the triangle is responsible and just not? Right. Anyway, so another myth here, and this is one that I, I actually grew up with. I was always scared of, uh, and there's a reason behind it. But there is a myth or an urban legend that kind of crops up from time to time, uh, as fishermen tend to spin tales of hauling up bull sharks and even great whites from the freshwater depths of, of all the Great Lakes. Now, in fact, prominent news there was a prominent news story of a shark in lake ontario which turned out to be a hoax uh, from discovery uh, discovery channels shark week but now and this is why it freaks me out bull sharks who happen to exist or can exist in both saltwater and freshwater have been known to ascend the mississippi river as far north as illinois that's really deep into the country of the north side but uh, there were some people, uh, primarily at the Shad Aquarium, uh, who debunked this myth, stating that thanks to a series of locks and dams and even an electric barrier, uh, these sharks are incapable of actually making their way into the Great Lakes. So, no fear. Unless somebody gra- you know, gets a shark and throws it in. But, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. We have here's a big one. This is one we've talked about over so many times, and that is, of course, the South Bay Bessie, aka Lake Erie's Bessie. Uh, the monster made headlines back in 1793 and has been making a splash more frequently in the last three decades. The average lifespan of lake monsters is really unknown, but from time to time, she makes or he makes, I don't know how they know. I'm just saying. Uh, waves by trying to tip and sink boats. Bessie is described as a serpent-like creature or a sturgeon with arms and clocks in between 20 and 50 feet in length. Now, there are some videos and photos of Bessie that have been taken, aside from the original uh, picture that was posted in, I think it was, wasn't it? It was like Weekly Magazine or something like that back in the... Uh, early 1900s. Um, Mm. But there have been some photos taken, which are very similar to Lake Nessie uh, or to the, you know, to Nessie uh, having that same sort of plesiosaur look. It looks a little smaller than Nessie, but nonetheless, it's kind of hard to tell from the photos and videos. Right. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. So there are a number, like you said, of ghost ships uh, that have pretty much litter the bottom of the lakes. Uh, In fact, there are more than 6,000 shipwrecks that litter the bottom of the Great Lakes specifically. But an even spookier phenomenon are the ghost ships that actually haunt the surface. uh, surface. And in 2016, a videographer captured a tall pirate ship cruising Lake Superior. If you get a chance, go ahead and Google that because it's kind of cool. But 
the question is whether or not they truly are mirages of some sort of ghost ship, or maybe it's just another boat that just happens to be off on the horizon, or even water spouts that are kicking up water, giving the appearance of a sailboat. Now, to go along with that, one of the most famous shipwrecks, primarily on the Great Lakes and specifically in Lake Superior, is actually Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald wreck. Do you know anything about the Edmund Fitzgerald? It sounds familiar, but I think I, when I had done research on it or seen it, it was a long time ago. Like okay. when we were doing Night Stalkers type long time ago. Yeah. Well, even like Great Lakes Brewery has a, a, uh, a beer out based on Fitzgerald, okay. uh, the Fitzgerald. And so the story goes that it was roughly 40 years ago that this happened. Uh, but shortly after 7 p.m. on November 10th of 1975, the 729 foot balk cargo vessel, the Edmund Fitzgerald, plummeted to 530 feet to the bottom of Lake Superior just 17 miles from the entrance of Whitefish Point, Michigan. She took with her all of the 29-man crew, including Captain Ernest McSorley. No distress call was heard, and there were no witnesses. It wasn't the largest marine disaster on the lake, of course. Uh, more than 45 lives were lost on November 7th of 1885 when the Algoma wrecked near Isle Royale, but... Thanks largely to the haunting ballad, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, a basically a song that was written by a Canadian singer-songwriter. Uh, the Fitzgerald became one of the most famous uh, wrecks on the entire lake, on all the lakes. Hmm. All right. So <laughs> all these articles I pulled up had a bunch of the stuff you just talked about, but okay. one that... I, you didn't talk about maybe it's in in your articles is uh, Michi Biji, mm. or it's also known as Michi Peshu. Mm -hmm. I know of those, it. Okay, it's, it's not in my article. So, so <laughs> this is annoying. But when I was, so I, I I saved a bunch of links, put them in email on my phone, and sent them to me. And then I went to log on to my email on the computer to bring them up, and they weren't there. And when I went back to my phone, they were gone. It was never sent, and it's not saved in drafts. My phone has been doing that regularly to me. It's so frustrating. That's, yeah. I have I have an iPhone for work, and a lot of the same thing happens to me where I can't even send emails from my phone because it just makes it a draft and doesn't actually send it out. That's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, also known by some as the Dragon of Lake Superior, Mishapiji, uh, anglicized as Mishapeshu, is an Ojibwa figure of a fearsome water-dwelling creature that has the body of a horned lynx with scales and webbed paws. A picture of Mishapiju appears at the Agawa pictograph site in Lake Superior Provincial Park showing the powerful water spirit with horns and spines on its back. Accounts from early French and English settlers report seeing a water creature that resembled a large lizard in Lake Superior but First Nations stories more often refer to Mishapiju as a shapeshifter or a water cat. 
a water cat, but we're not talking about a catfish, which is also a water cat. Well, and true, true, but yes, I don't think that's what they're talking about. Hmm. But, it almost it has like a almost a chupacabra type s- of yeah, sort of, um, or kind of like similar to uh, what they now classify as a. Uh, decaying bulldog, the the uh, Montauk monster mm-hmm. that washed up on the shores of Lake Montauk, right? Uh, but that that's it. That's all I had found for for legends of the Great Lakes or, or stories of the Great Lakes. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have anything further. Yeah, I I do. Uh, so another one is actually Lake Huron's lost civilization. So in 2009, the University of Michigan researchers discovered archaeological evidence of human activity preserved 100 feet below the surface of Lake Huron. The findings suggest the presence of an advanced ancient civilization dating back to the 7th millennium B.C. It's a long time ago. Uh, In the depths of the lake, on what was once a land bridge 9,000 years ago, Researchers identified human-made formations that may have been used for hunting caribou. The structures were astonishingly well-preserved due to the relative calmness of Lake Huron and their offshore location. Who'd have thunk that one? Mm. Um... I think that's all I got right now. There's also actually here. I can't think of the name of it though. Shoot, hold on one second. Okay. I had it saved earlier, and you know that was one that didn't go. <laughs> no problem. I'm not going to find it. Okay. Yeah. But I'll just throw a couple out there that I know of. So yeah. there's two more, which both of which we've talked about, and these are more or less widespread. At least the one is, but there is a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot like creature that tends to roam the, the banks of some of the great lakes, primarily Lake Michigan. From what I recall, I actually had this article saved and this was one of the ones that got lost uh, mm-hmm. and I can't find it again, unfortunately. But I thought that was really interesting because we always hear about uh, the Bigfoot being within the woods with, you know, near creeks and lakes that are deeper uh, away from civilization. So the Great Lakes, not quite the same. I mean, yes, there's plenty of wooded areas, forest areas that line the Great Lakes. uh, But to actually find uh, or see a Sasquatch that close to the lakes and likely near people is significant, I think. The other is also the Dogman, the Wisconsin, Michigan Dogman. Uh, this is one, one of the famous ones. They started back in, I think the, oh goodness, I forget the exact year uh, that that the Dogman became famous in Wisconsin and Michigan. 
mm-hmm. uh, jumping between Racine and a couple other spots. And this is right along the same time that the Bray Road Beast was also mentioned and became famous. Uh, but it too, or at least a dog man like creature, had also been seen along Lake Michigan, uh, roaming the various beaches. So, what exactly that entails, I don't know. Most likely looking for some sort of food. But nonetheless, you know, we all know the story of the dog man. So, it's kind of creepy. Right. All right. Anything else? No. No. Okay. All right. Well, we'll make this one short and sweet this week, folks. Um, this was one that we kind of scrambled to try and find some stuff and, and decide on what we wanted to do. So uh, we'll take a quick break. You've been listening to Paratruth Radio, and uh, we're, we'll play a quick commercial, and we'll be right back. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up and welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we've been talking about uh, various myths and legends of the Great Lakes, and we covered quite a few in a very quick time here. Mm. Uh, as Justin said prior to the bla- to the break, this is one of those episodes where we just needed some sort of content. We didn't know. We've had cancellations and this and that over the last couple of weeks with guests. Uh, so here we go. I thought it would be fun. Didn't think it'd go that quick, though. Right. <laughs> well, unfortunately, like uh, pretty much Every article I found, I'm sure it was the same for you. It was just really a blurb. No, um, yeah, nothing in no depth. other evidence. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, and so it is with a lot of myths and legends. You know, they're they're tales passed down from one person to the next. So you only get so much. These these aren't research, uh, factualized stories. You know, mm-hmm. like, like we've right. been covering over the past so many years. But right. Well, so something that kind of strikes me is odd only because you and I grew up in Cleveland is neither of us have ever really searched for Bessie. No. Over the years. Well, you know, we need a boat. And then I don't well, have <laughs> um, we have, I mean, we've done investigations throughout cleveland and and upper ohio even lower ohio but um it just seems like when we started as paranormal investigators that term really concentrated on quote-unquote ghost hunting and we didn't concentrate on the cryptids right 
Well, and that was the big fad back then. You know, everyone everyone was getting into the ghost hunting thing. We were obviously really into it. Uh, So cryptos are kind of second nature and oftentimes not even on the radar. It hadn't been until several years later when we started getting into the werewolves and the vampires and all these other creatures uh, that have been stalking people for millennium. Uh, (laughs) You know, it started to become more interesting. Uh, But... I'll admit, I also think that hunting ghosts is a tad more safe than hunting cryptids if the said cryptids are real. <laughs> depending on the cryptid. And depending on the ghost or spirit. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, truthfully, it is cryptids that really got us going on the podcast itself because we would just sit around and talk about werewolves, vampires, Ghosts were in there too, but it was kind of an all-in-one type conversation a lot of times. It was. It really was. Uh, so I don't really know what the big difference. I think the the biggest thing is just, I mean, you know, when you're doing a paranormal investigation that is looking for spirits, it's easier to pull out a couple pieces of the equipment. You're kind of in one small location. You don't have to worry about traversing miles. In order right. to find some cryptid, uh, so it it makes it a lot easier and it's much more achievable for most people. Uh, for others who have the time, the money, and the rations, good for them. They got shows on TV, like <laughs> you know. Well, and I was never really big into camping and stuff or the wilderness well, no. per se either. Me, me either. <laughs> um, but. It's funny you bring bring up traversing a long stretch because that brought up a memory of me for me of us in winter trying to go up to a cemetery. <laughs> we were <laughs> ass deep in snow and you're like, yeah, let's do this. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going up there today. <laughs> nope. And so I ended up doing it all by myself. <laughs> eventually eventually well and you had one of our former teammates with you too right uh i can't remember honestly i think yeah like, i, I know think he brought did, him up there i could have sworn he, did, did. he might have i don't know i know he was around for a couple of the ones over in the uh the canal area uh of the national park but i can't remember if we stopped there or not um i do remember you bringing up like pentagrams on the the cemetery uh, stones and stuff like that though yeah there 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 were and the the cemetery itself is kind of in a in a weird circular area so basically there's this church and off to the left of the church uh there's another a second lot which is separate from the church itself uh there's a parking space and then there's this long trail that goes up a hill in between all the trees like all the woods and all that because this is national park area mm-hmm. uh once you get to the top there's this huge clearing right in the center it's entirely surrounded by trees but then there's all these gravestones old gravestones we're talking about 1600s 1500s you know things like that uh and then yes some of them had pentagrams on them or had certain offerings that were placed on them uh, and we did the investigation and there wasn't really anything caught, but it was still an eerie feeling, especially when you're up there by yourself in this 
area. And I know you're right. I do remember now that I'm talking about it, the memories come back. He was with us or with me. Uh, and we, we stayed up there until dusk, at which point, once it got started getting dark, we were like, all right, we should probably get going. Cause you're just starting to get a little eerie. And we didn't know, even if we were allowed to be up there, there were right. no signs or anything, but you know, there's not, who knows? You just don't know. So. Right. All right. So I, yeah, that's pretty much all we've got on great Lake legends and ghost stories. Um, We've got some guests lined up coming up here in the next few weeks. And one of them is in July, which I think both Eric and I are both excited for because it's a gal that I found on TikTok who does chi work. And uh, we've never really talked about chi. I mean, it's Mm kind of along the same lines of Reiki. We really haven't talked about Reiki either, but it'll be interesting to have her on. Um, we've got a couple other, uh, Nick Redfern is coming on with us as well. And, um, there is one other guest that's slipping my mind for the moment, but, uh, we will make sure we're posting as we go here, but, uh, yeah, make sure you're checking everything out as, uh, we all said last week, if you're interested, go to paratruth.com and donate to our, um, buy me a coffee and uh you know if we can get some funds going we'll take suggestions on where to do investigations we'll even post some campaigns for investigations we want to do um but that is pretty much it unless you can think of any other housekeeping we need to do no sir all right all right folks until next week where you'll find us same time same channel My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. 
Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.